March 28th, 2018. Tenants win their rent strike in Toronto. An interview with an anarchist sex worker about the new FOSTA-SESTA law. Sacramento rises up after the police murder of Stefan Clark. A roundup of actions to hashtag defend Afrin. And our reflections on the march for our lives on this episode of The Hotwire. A weekly anarchist news show brought to you by The Ex-Worker. With me, the Rebel Girl. A full transcript of this episode with show notes and useful links can be found at our website, crimethink.com slash podcast. You can subscribe to The Hotwire on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Just search for The Ex-Worker. You can listen to us through the Anarchist Podcast Network, Channel Zero, or on your radio's dial in Eugene, Oregon, every Sunday at noon on KEPW 97.3. Fairbanks, Alaska, Saturday mornings at 9 on KWRK 90.9. And in Tacoma, Washington, every Friday at 9 a.m. on KUPS 90.1. Believe it or not, every hotwire is radio-ready. And in our show notes, you can download a 29-and-a-half-minute version of this episode for standard radio time slots. If there's a story or upcoming event you'd like us to include in a future Hotwire, just hit us up at podcast at crimethink.com. And now, for the headlines. After a three-month-long rent strike, the tenants at 1251 King in Parkdale, Toronto, have declared victory. Their landlord has withdrawn the rent increase they were striking over. This victory comes half a year after another successful rent strike ended in Toronto, also with significant support across the neighborhood of Parkdale. For more background on tenant organizing up there, check out the sub-media documentary, This is Parkdale. Anti-fascists in Knoxville, Tennessee, successfully repelled a crew of neo-Nazi trolls who attempted to disrupt a university panel about anti-racism in the age of Trump. One crew worked on covering up white supremacist graffiti that the fash left, while another crew prevented the Nazis from approaching the panel or any of its attendees. On Sunday, anti-fascists in Hamilton, Ontario, showed up to confront a far-right event dubbed Patriots Walk on Lock. The march was an attempt to recruit from the blowback to an anti-gentrification black bloc in Hamilton earlier in March, which we reported on in Hotwire 22. In attendance with the Patriots were anti-immigrant and anti-Muslim groups, whose march the police protected as anti-fascists pursued. A few days earlier, about an hour away in Waterloo, Ontario, a festive anti-fascist rally with queer, indigenous, and people of color voices made noise outside a white supremacist speaking event at Wilfrid Laurier University. Anti-fascists also entered the event to disrupt it, which eventually happened when someone pulled the fire alarm. Last week in Olympia, Washington, some anarchist Jews confronted Christian supremacists who were harassing a fundraiser at a local synagogue. The anarchists snatched one of the fundamentalist signs, which led to some small skirmishes at first, but eventually sent the Christian supremacists packing. In their report on It's Going Down, the anarchists state, Stealing an anti-Semite sign is a small and easily reproducible action, and it caused the fundamentalists to discontinue harassing a largely Jewish crowd. Ignoring fascists and right-wing bigots doesn't make them go away. Tepid think pieces don't make them go away. Petitions and voting don't make them go away. Hitler did not come to power for lack of liberal hand-wringing. 
It's time for Jews everywhere to step up and go to war against capitalism, the state, and all forms of hierarchy and domination. Last Wednesday in Athens, Greece, anti-foreclosure protesters clashed with police while attempting to disrupt the auctioneering of foreclosed homes at a notary office. Meanwhile, on Saturday, squatters and squatting solidarity activists in Athens demonstrated against the recent evictions and fascist attacks on squats in the Kukaki neighborhood. The call for the demonstration reads, Our capacity to occupy buildings is a result of a struggle which is going on years now by a large and combative squatting movement where we also belong. For this reason, the police operation was a coordinate attack. Alongside with Matrazu 45, the squats of Gare and Zami 11 were also evacuated. In this repression plan, fascists are playing a crucial, with their constant attacks to places of struggle, and at its summits, the burning down of Libertatia. The list of attacks from the state and the fascist parastate is big, even though they remain unable to block the liberation. We are a part of social base that reflects its radical and anti-state characteristics, the uncompromisable struggles and liberation cultures. We are creating another world. We will transfer it, defend it, and claim it until the time it will be a reality. Last Wednesday, in a nearly unanimous vote, the Senate passed the Stop Enabling Sex Trafficking Act, SESTA, an update to the Fight Online Sex Trafficking Act, FOSTA, which would make posting or hosting online prostitution ads a federal crime. On one side, FOSTA-SESTA has been criticized by civil libertarians like the ACLU for criminalizing websites that facilitate the speech of others. But we caught up with an anarchist sex worker to discuss how this new law will endanger sex workers themselves and how this law itself falls short of self-directed worker organizing in terms of safety for sex workers. Hey, my name is LLX. I am an anarchist and a sex worker in the Midwest, here to talk about FOSTA and SESTA. I'm going to give you the quick and dirty version of both of these bills. There's SESTA, which is Stop Enabling Sex Trafficking Act, which was just recently passed in the House and the Senate. And what this bill does is it holds online platforms liable, criminally and civilly, for the content that their users post. And then we got FOSTA, which is Allow States and Victims to Fight Online Sex Trafficking Act, which basically conflates sex trafficking with sex work, and it makes hosting online prostitution a federal crime. Even though both of these bills haven't been signed into law yet, we're already seeing their effects spread through our communities. And what this has looked like is websites that host ads for sex workers, websites that allow sex workers to screen their clients, websites that provide forums for sex workers to communicate with one another about ways to stay safe and alive and to allow them to build community with one another, which is already so precarious and challenging, have either been shut down entirely or selectively deleted. These two bills claim to stop sex trafficking, but what they actually do is conflate sex trafficking with sex work, which again are two very different things and deserve two very different conversations. These bills are a huge threat to the sex work community because they threaten websites that allow us to work safely and independently. Let's be honest, two bills, 2,000 bills are not going to stop sex trafficking or sex work. Pushing both of these things off the internet are also not going to stop them. All it's going to do is make this extremely more dangerous for everyone who's using the internet to work safely and independently, period. That's it. 
The state and police will not protect us. They're not our friends, especially as sex workers. We're often seeing violence from both the state and police. So how often are there cases of police hiring an escort, robbing them and raping them and then arresting them? I mean, the numbers are outrageous. Sex workers already know this. All marginalized people in this country already know this about both the state and the police. And even though this legislation is a huge hit to the sex worker community, we are organizing, we are resisting, we are coming together, and we're not going to stop what we're doing because of this legislation. Sex workers have always resisted, have always struggled, and this has just taken a different form currently because of the legislation at play. Thus far, what this has looked like is taking anything that's hosted online, like bad date list, blacklist, etc., and moving them onto an analog format. So compiling all of this information in case websites get shut down. There's also a redistribution of wealth and resources within the sex worker community. So by sex workers, for sex workers, which is amazing to see. So people who are hurting right now, the most in our communities, people are showing up for them either individually or through organizations that have been created. There's groups like St. James Infirmary, Red Light Legal, and a new group that just started called New Horizons, which are all focusing in different ways on redistributing both wealth and resources by sex workers for sex workers. In the past month in general, there's been huge resistance and struggle within the sex work community. We can look at the stripper strikes happening in New Orleans, in Richmond, Virginia, in New York City, which I highly encourage you to look up. It's beautiful to see sex workers come together to fight with one another, to be in solidarity with one another, and to ultimately fight against the state. I want to really emphasize that this is not just a sex worker issue. This is a labor rights issue. This is a gender issue. This is a trans issue. This is a race issue. If you care at all about police violence, if you care at all about state violence, if you care at all about prison issues, this is that. If you're a sex worker and you're listening, I love you. If you're not a sex worker, please listen to sex workers. Please show up for them. Please stand in solidarity with me and my community. What we need the most right now is financial support. So please donate to either the organizations that I mentioned previously or individual sex workers you know in your life who are struggling. We also seriously need someone who is in tech to help us advertise and take control of these platforms. So if that is you, please contact some sex worker in your life and let them know that you can make this happen for us. I just want to end with fuck the state and fuck police. They have never been on our side and they never will be. Whether you know it or not, someone you love is a sex worker. Thank you so much. On March 18th, Sacramento police, who never even identified themselves as cops, shot dead Stefan Clark, a black 22-year-old father of two in his grandmother's yard. The officers justified the 20 shots they fired by claiming Clark had a gun. On March 22nd, the police body cam footage was released and showed that Clark was holding nothing more than a white cell phone. The video also showed the cops deliberately turning their body cam microphones off to discuss the murder they just committed. 
As it's going down reports, quote, in response, people in Sacramento hit the streets and eventually the I-5 freeway, shutting it down in both directions. After leaving the freeway in the hundreds, protesters surrounded and blocked the entrances of a local sports stadium, partially shutting down a Sacramento Kings basketball game. The murder of Clark is sadly only one of 278 people who have been killed by U.S. law enforcement since the start of 2018, according to killedbypolice.net. Rest in power, Stefan Clark. Demonstrations are ongoing in Sacramento as we go to press. And in next week's news, we have a list of solidarity actions across the country that you can partake in. There was something about the anti-war movement that changed things. Authoritarian communist front groups dominated the organizing. The protests were bigger, but more homogenizing. The attendance really was massive. In fact, the anti-war protests of February 15, 2003, are the largest day of protest in history, like human history. Yet it didn't seem to amount to much more than just marching in circles. And despite hundreds of thousands showing up to permitted, top-down organized anti-war marches, our capacity to organize autonomously and horizontally had dwindled. That's an excerpt from the ex-workers episode about anarchists in the anti-globalization movement. But we offer it as a cautionary tale about what could happen after the enormous March for Our Lives on Saturday. Two weeks ago, spontaneously organized, decentralized student walkouts shut down thousands of schools while the students themselves addressed issues far beyond gun control, including police violence, the school-to-prison pipeline, and the way adults as a whole have let down young people. On Saturday, that momentum and diversity of voices were channeled into passive, permitted, homogenizing rallies focused on achieving change by putting power back into adult hands, namely by voting for politicians. We could get into anarchist critiques of how racist the legal system is and how gun laws will disproportionately affect poor people of color already targeted by the cops or the hypocrisy of allowing the police to continue to carry weapons when they kill more people than mass shootings do every year. But this is a youth-led movement and we don't expect all the kids to be full-fledged anarchists from jump. What is hard to watch is the way youth power is being channeled back into voting for politicians. Kids, you are powerful not in spite of the fact that you don't have electoral power, but because of it. The largest setback the NRA has faced in decades, when companies dropped their discount partnerships, wasn't because of Democratic politicians. It was because of actions that students took themselves. It's a result of marching, walking out, being loud, demanding to be heard, not from voting. Don't give that power back to politicians who haven't done anything except install thousands of cops in schools since Columbine. Those cops, we might add, haven't prevented a single school shooting, although they have criminalized countless youth and put them on a track to prison. Don't narrow your demands down or away from other movements you could be in solidarity with. Dream big! And let's be clear, While anarchists have a lot of different opinions on guns, those of us at the Hotwire are tired of gun violence. We're tired of the gun violence in our neighborhoods. We're tired of the police murdering people with impunity. And some of us even have kids in school and worry about their safety from mass shooters like Nicholas Cruz. 
But we don't think laws that suggest the police and the military are the only legitimate holders of weapons will help. Hell, many of the mass shooters of the last decade either were ex-military themselves or glorified police and military violence. Big problems take big solutions. We need to dismantle the militarism mass shooters glorify. The capitalist logic that rewards gun manufacturers for pushing deadly propaganda. The toxic masculinity and white supremacy that sets so many mass shooters up for resentment and hatred. The state for perpetrating murder through its police and prisons. School walkouts have been called for on April 20th, the anniversary of Columbine. This could be an opportunity to put in place a way to keep organizing with your classmates so that you don't have to wait for a national call to action to respond to BS that happens locally in your own school or area. For some ideas, check out the new Crime Thing scene. We don't need gun control. We need to take control. Available on our website. Although the March for Our Lives drowned it out, another widespread day of protests took place Saturday, which was hashtag World Afrin Day, a day of international action to call attention to the Turkish military occupation of Afrin, the westernmost canton of the democratic co-federalist region of Rojava in northern Syria. Folks marched against Turkey's invasion of Afrin in Toronto, Portland, Oregon, Dallas, Richmond, Virginia, and Vienna, Austria. Anarchists dropped banners expressing solidarity with Afrin in Montreal, New York City, New Orleans, Asheville, Minneapolis, and Worcester, Massachusetts. People also rallied in Vancouver, San Francisco, Boston, Chicago, Auburn, Alabama, and Mexico City. The Metropolitan Anarchist Coordinating Council and the Revolutionary Abolitionist Movement both turned out to rally outside the Turkish consulate in New York City. Demonstrators in Washington, D.C. marched to the Turkish ambassador's residence, chanting, Turkey out of Afrin and long live Kurdistan. This march was particularly bold, considering that almost a year ago, Kurdish human rights demonstrators rallying in the same spot were attacked, not by police, but by security goons from the Turkish embassy itself. In Iceland, anarchists tarred and feathered a NATO memorial and covered Turkey's name on the memorial in red paint. Turkey has the second largest army in NATO. The symbolic action was also taken in memory of Kokor Hilmerson, an anarchist from Iceland who died fighting the battle to defend Afrin. Rest in power, Hokor. A Deutsche Bank in Leipzig, Germany, was attacked and tagged with for Afrin. A week before World Afrin Day, Kurdish political refugees began a hunger strike in Syntagma Square, across from the Greek parliament in Athens. March 21st, just three days before Saturday's hashtag Defend Afrin Actions, was no ruse. The Kurdish New Year, which celebrates the beginning of spring. In Dortmund, Germany, hundreds celebrated no ruse with a bonfire and a rally for Afrin. In Frankfurt, about 50 activists occupied the Social Democratic Party's offices to protest Germany's arms sales to Turkey. On the 23rd, protesters in Bristol, England, blocked the entrance to Bay Systems, a weapons manufacturer that supplies Turkey's army. The demonstrators held banners that read, Stop Arming Genocide, Murderers, and Signs in Remembrance of Anna Campbell, a queer, feminist internationalist who was killed by one of Turkey's missile strikes on Afrin. Anna was a key organizer in Bristol's Anarchist Black Cross, the IWW's Incarcerated Workers Organizing Committee, and the Empty Cages Collective. Anna Campbell, rest in power. 
In Anna's memory, we'd like to share an excerpt of her reading a statement from the International's Commune of Rojava. The crisis of the hegemonic system produces monsters. The chaos it creates is a chaos that makes the reorganization of the ruling conditions possible. How this reorganization is going to look will be decided by the question of which force is best able to organize. Us, who as revolutionaries search for a way out, or those who give a reactionary, racist, chauvinistic answer to the crisis. If we want to be victorious, we have to admit that our fight today is a fight for all or nothing. Today we wage a global struggle that will end either in liberation or in total oppression and has reached the level of a third world war. We cannot take ourselves out of this and expect or hope that others will do what we are too lazy or too afraid to do. It is the time of bravery and of decisions, the time of coordination and organization. It is the time of action. We send you all our bravery and willpower, all our hatred for those that want to create a world of darkness and hopelessness. We send you all our love, you who fight with us and light the fires of resistance. The day after World Afrin Day, the International's Commune of Rojava issued an open letter that we will quote from at length. We, who are working here in Rojava as internationals, are part of the worldwide fight of the oppressed against the reign of state, capital, and patriarchy. For two months, the bombs of the Turkish army have been falling and killing people in Afrin. Afrin is now under the occupation of the Turkish army. After these months of resistance, to see the occupation forces entering the city may seem like the utopia is going away once again. But no one said the revolution would come around easily. It was something we had only imagined before coming to Rojava and witnessing with our own eyes what's going on here. Today, here, we are taking on several centuries of the capitalist system and the nation-state model. We are challenging thousands of years of patriarchal oppression and male rule power. We are challenging the essence of how society itself is perceived and organized. When the next attack of the ruling powers strikes once again, we will be wiser and more experienced and more capable of defending ourselves and the people around us. We know that this can happen at any time, maybe tomorrow, and we know we cannot do it alone. We need all the hope and the international solidarity that this revolution is raising in people's hearts. And that's why we call on you to come here. Come and see with your own eyes what is happening here. Come with an open mind and heart, ready to challenge what you believe humanity is able to accomplish. Come to learn, to support, and to organize this revolution. Come and help us to create the international movement that will be able to change the capitalist drift that humanity is suffering. But if you can't come, there are still a thousand ways you can contribute to this resistance. We need to think how we can make this revolution successful and what can be done in every place to achieve this aim. As internationalists, we need to be able to act and interact with the society we are in. We need to learn from the past movements and analyze what are the best ways to face oppression, from mass mobilization to civil disobedience, from solidarity demonstrations to direct actions. Yesterday, we showed the world that together we are strong. But the situation in Afrin today showed us that this is not enough. So now, we need to open a global debate about what should be the next step. The full statement is available at internationalscommune.com, where you can find out more about how to support and work with revolutionary efforts in Rojava.
It's Going Down is a digital community center from anarchist, anti-fascist, autonomous, anti-capitalist, and anti-colonial movements. Our mission is to provide an autonomous and resilient platform to publicize and promote revolutionary theory and action. Go to itsgoingdown.org for daily updates. Check out our online store for ways to donate and rate and follow us on iTunes if you like this podcast. In this week's Repression Roundup, Moscow Anarchist Black Cross has issued a call of support for Crimean anarchist political prisoner Yevgeny Karakashev, who has been active in anti-luxury resort campaigns and anti-police activism. You can donate by PayPaling money to abc-msk at riseup.net. And please mention for Yevgeny Karakashev. Yevgeny's arrest is part of a concentrated repression campaign against Russian anarchists in the last year and a half, in which police have utilized torture to force confessions out of political prisoners. For an in-depth report on this wave of repression in Russia, as well as posters that you can print out to show your solidarity, check out the text, Why the Torture Cases in Russia Matter, How the Tactics that the Russian State Uses Against Anarchists Could Spread, available at crimethink.com. Last week, we incorrectly reported some details about Herman Bell's parole process. So this week, we thought we'd leave it up to the political prisoner experts over at New York City Anarchist Black Cross to clear up what exactly is going on. Hey, y'all. So last week on the Hot Wire, the Rebel Girl reported that Herman Bell was released, which is not true. He was just granted release, meaning that the New York State Parole Board approved him to be able to leave prison on April 17th after serving four and a half decades. But since then, the Patrolman's Benevolent Association, which is the police union, a.k.a. PBA, the mayor of New York City, Bill de Blasio, and New York State Governor Andrew Cuomo are all trying to reverse the decision. If you go to the PBA's website on their homepage, they have this safety alert with a mugshot of Herman, his inmate ID number, and other statistics, including his anticipated release date, clearly attempting to send the message that his release is a threat. All three parties, the PBA, the mayor of New York City, and the governor of New York, are demanding that Herman be held indefinitely, that the parole commissioners who voted for his release be fired, and that people convicted of killing police be left to die in prison. Herman is 70 years old, and it's been a long journey to get him parole. This was his eighth time appearing before the parole board, and he needs support now more than ever to make sure he can come home. To help him get home, please call Governor Cuomo at 518-474-8390 and express support for the parole board's decision, or you can tweet him at nygovcuomo on Twitter. That's at n-y-g-o-v-c-u-o-m-o. Also, while we're here, we wanted to mention the upcoming annual Running Down the Walls event, scheduled for June 3rd of this year, and encourage folks to organize one in their city or town. For those unfamiliar, it is a fundraising 5K run that is organized both inside and outside prisons. The event raises money for the War Trust, which I'll explain in a minute, and brings attention to our political prisoners. The idea is that all of the runs take place on the same day, this year it's June 3rd, in conjunction and solidarity with runs all over the country, both inside and outside prison walls. The event is called a 5K, but it's truly an anything-you-want-K. You can walk it, run it, bike it, skateboard it, watch it, or any combination. Here in New York City, we provide a free vegan barbecue for anyone who makes a donation of $10 or more. 
In addition to being super fun, Running Down the Walls raises money for the War Chest, which is a program initiated by the Anarchist Black Cross Federation that is designed to send monthly checks to those political prisoners and prisoners of war who have been receiving insufficient, little, or no financial support during their imprisonment. To see a list of the folks who are beneficiaries of the War Chest, you can check out our website, nycabc.wordpress.com. And while you're there, you can check out the promotional and organizing materials for putting together a Running Down the Walls in your own community. There is a call to support Mason Neff, a water protector in South Dakota who was imprisoned after being profiled. He is asking for letters, songs, and books on animals, drawing, or Lakota language and history. You can also donate to his commissary. We have his address in our show notes at crimethink.com slash podcast. The next J20 trials are scheduled to start in less than a month, with one beginning on April 17th and the other on April 23rd. Consider coming to D.C. during this time to pack the courthouse and show support. You can also reach out to defend J-20 resistance to see how you can provide support during the trials. We'll end this week's Repression Roundup with some beautifully penned words from Connor Stevens, one of the Cleveland Four who's set to be released from prison in May 2019. A crowded desert is still a desert and out of touch with you, is impossibly distant. My blood runs wild and loose, and still, I cannot reach you. I would trade every drop to overcome this tyranny of distance. We'll close out our episode with Political Prisoner Birthdays and next week's news. April 2nd is the birthday of both Chuck Sims Africa and Delbert Africa, members of the Black Liberation Group MOVE and part of the MOVE 9, all falsely accused for the 1978 murder of a police officer who was shot by friendly fire when the Philadelphia police raided their house. Seven years later, the police dropped a bomb on their house. Writing to Chuck and Delbert will only take you a few minutes, but it could be the highlight of their week. We have their mailing addresses in this episode's show notes at crimethink.com slash podcast, as well as a link to a beginner's guide to writing prisoners from New York City anarchist Black Cross. And now, next week's news, our list of events that you can plug into in real life. In Sacramento, protests over the police murder of Stefan Clark continue at the DA's office today and tomorrow afternoon from 3 p.m. to 5.30 Then, there are solidarity demonstrations planned elsewhere throughout the country. Tonight, Wednesday, March 28th, there is a demonstration for Stefan Clark in New York City at 7 p.m. at Columbus Circle. Folks in Phoenix are also gathering tonight at 6 p.m. at Eastlake Park. In Charlotte, North Carolina, folks are gathering at 7.20 p.m. tomorrow, March 29th. In Boston on April 4th at 6 p.m. And in Seattle on April 7th at 6 p.m. Mark Bray continues his book tour for Antifa this week, speaking on Thursday, March 29th at Appalachian State University in Boone, North Carolina. Mutual Aid Disaster Relief continue their speaking tour on communities in resistance to disaster capitalism and community organizing as disaster preparedness. This week, you can find their tour in Elmira, New York on March 30th at 6 p.m. and March 31st at 10 a.m both at the Park Church on West Gray Street. 
and in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania at 6.30 p.m. on April 2nd at the Pittsburgh Public Library, and then on April 3rd and 4th, both at 7 p.m. at the Glitterbox Theater. Go to MutualAidDisasterRelief.org to find details. We're excited to announce that listeners in South Bend, Indiana, can join up with an Ursula K. Le Guin reading group beginning in April. To find out more, just email ndgradworkers at riseup.net or collective at r-t-m-i-c-h-i-a-n-a dot org. From April 6th to April 8th, the 14th Zagreb Anarchist Book Fair will take place in Croatia. For more info in Croatian and English, go to ask Zagreb.org. There's another anarchist book fair that weekend on April 7th in Liverpool, England. You can find out more at Liverpool Anarchist Book Fair on Facebook. And there's an anarchist book fair in Porto, Portugal from May 4th to the 6th. The Southeast Trans and or Women Action Camp will take place from April 26th to 29th in the Smoky Mountains of Western North Carolina. The Action Camp is open to all trans and or woman-identified folks. Workshops will be offered on earth skills, conflict resolution, botany, tree climbing, direct action, anti-racist organizing, black leadership training, prisoner support, security culture, herbalism, and much, much more. Organizers hope to receive attendees from rural Appalachia to southern cities. You can find out more by emailing setwac at protonmail.com. Also, their donation page has been shut down twice, so if you have some bucks to spare, you can donate at paypal.me slash setwac2018. The Revolutionary Organizing Against Racism Conference, ROAR, returns to Ohlone Land, the so-called Bay Area, California, on April 28th and 29th, and will take place in both Oakland and San Francisco. ROAR is a free two-day conference focusing on revolutionary anti-racism, solidarity, and strategy, rooted in the legacy of anti-colonial, anti-fascist, anti-imperialist, feminist, and queer movements and fighters who have come before us. To find out more, go to roarconference.net. Anarchists in Seattle have already issued a call for a decentralized anti-capitalist May Day there. In their call, they state, whether it's a block party at the Juvie, a march against gentrification in a neighborhood facing mass displacement, or a less public form of direct action, we want to see it all. By spreading our actions across the city and region, we will circumvent the massive police mobilizations that accompany each May Day giving each action group a broader spectrum of tactics to choose what best suits the participants' needs and goals. The trick to pulling this off is that we need to get organizations, affinity groups, and individuals on board as soon as possible to begin planning their own actions. The call ends by inviting those interested in coordinating Mayday actions to contact T-I-O-L-E-O at protonmail.com. We are thrilled to announce the return of the Chaos Days to Germany. The Chaos Days, or Chaos Taga, were wild summer days of revolt and subculture in Germany in the 1990s. This year's Chaos and Discussion Days have been announced from May 10th to the 13th in Berlin. The announcement reads, quote, Our call goes out to all active groups and individuals, neighborhood initiatives, those involved in struggles in other regions, punks and kids of the bourgeois, 
gangster, and autonomous. All those that want to fill the streets and their hearts with life, organize resistance, cause decentralized chaos on those days and nights. We want to discuss, test, and intensify revolutionary and rebellious perspectives, goals, and strategies for more intensive and far-reaching struggles. You can send your input and ideas to Riegerstrauss at riseup.net. More infos can be found at engagens.blacklogs.org. It's going to be a summer of anarchy in Quebec this year, with the grand finale being the protests against the G20 summit taking place outside Quebec City on June 8th and 9th. We have an announcement about the mobilization and other anarchist gatherings leading up to it from a comrade in Quebec. Um, hi. So far, what is planned for the G7? So we started out a wide coalition last September, tried to get as much people on board with the PGA block principles, which are anti-capitalist, anti-colonial, uh, feminist perspective. And we've been focusing on getting as much info out as possible. And we got really good responses from the student movement, from the anti-colonial movement and the community organizations. And folks in Quebec City started organizing logistics for billeting and whatnot. And we've been raising funds to get buses from Montreal to Quebec City, as Montreal is a way bigger city. G7 activities will be happening in Quebec City as they reserved all of the hotel rooms that were available in La Malbe, which is a 5,000 people resort town, but they reserved also 12,000 rooms in Quebec City, which is like a whole lot more and there is the media center that will happen in downtown Quebec City so more than half of the summit is happening in Quebec City there's a fans in a freedom speech zone like that kind of board in La Malbe but it's been clear from the get-go that La Malbe is not a safe place to protest and we decided to converge in Quebec City from the 7th to the 9th so there is currently three protests in the work. The first one is a festive grassroots protest on the theme of imperialism and borders on the night of the 7th and there is an early morning disruption protest in the works for the morning of the 8th which will be the main and first day, the first and main day of the G7 discussion. Finally, there is a large union protest that will happen on the 9th and what we're helping so far to organize is the building in Quebec City. However, in Montreal, there is the North American Anarchist Studies Network Conference that's happening from June 1st to 3rd that will most likely have building organized and prior to that, there is the month of anarchy happening, which is usual things, such as the Anarchist Book Fair on May 26th and 27th, the Anarchist Theatre Festival on May 22nd and 23rd, and the Anarchist Film Festival on May 17th to 20th. So yeah, there will be a lot of stuff to do for in Montreal for quite a while before that, for which there isn't any official billeting organized for, but with the mobilization going really well, we give talk basically everywhere in Quebec, and with quite large turnouts, and folks from different cities are trying to organize things, so we're really expecting something pretty large will happen. Um, these kind of large-scale convergence only happen so far in North America, so I think it's really worth a trip. And that's it for this episode of The Hotwire. As always, thanks to Underground Reverie for the music. Thanks to LX for speaking with us. And thanks to New York City anarchist Black Cross. Don't forget to check out all the links, mailing addresses, and useful show notes we customized for this episode at crimethink.com. Every Hotwire is radio ready. So if you want to replay part or all of this show, just go for it. We can edit episodes down to specific time constraints if you email us at podcast at crimethink.com. You can also send us news or announcements to include in the future. Stay informed. Stay rebel. Plug into the hotwire.